Actually, no, I take that back. I saw a comment on Twitter along those lines where someone said he's clearly in his like late 20s, early 30s, in yeah. the early 80s. Yeah. He will have grown up a kid in the 60s. Yeah. Which means he was living off of all the records of the musicals from the 40s and 50s. No, it's not he, that old. Absolutely. I know, but like that that kind of era of musicals, no, sort of fe- like Follies, Follies, which Sending the Clowns is from, came out in 77. Oh, well, oh, then in that case, he's <laughs> just a massive musical theatre. Uh, yeah. I don't I think it was a big hit. I think it was seventy seven anyway. Um You're a big hit. For, oh, sh- oh shut up. Snake. Snake. Snake No. Joker. Welcome everybody to Bay Dame Quest. Uh I am Oh your... seventy one, sorry, Follies came out. Alright, okay. So, so Follies you, is you might have is... grown up with it a bit. Sometime, yeah. innit? It's Follies sometime. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Um uh, Oh no, I'm gonna get killed now on a subway. <laughs> uh I am one half of your hosting audio, uh, Christopher, we're living in a society, Johnson. And I am the, the system that takes people like you and gr- and grinds them and I wouldn't pick you up for cross you. Yeah, I'm, I'm me. I'm Matt. Hi. And we have thoughts about a thing. We'll get to that thing in a little while. But also, we've got a bunch of trailers that snuck out over the past long weekend, like... Like 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 a like a sexually transmitted disease. They just sort of appear. We, just looked, we looked down one day and went, "The hell is that?" Slid out like a moist turd. Yeah, in a way. No, these are good ones though. I think are they all good ones? Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll also have some of your emails later on. But first, of course, a message from our sponsor. We don't have a sponsor. It's ourselves. Hey. It's you guys. If you don't know, we have a Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash bigdowncast if you want to fund the show, get a bunch of exclusive content, and get to choose what stuff we do commentaries for. And, you know, if you, like, give us money, the show will be better. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're going to afford better stuff. Enough spiel. It will actually help us do stuff. Yeah. Uh, stuff that we can't do without that extra financial support. But- so, if you really love the show, and you've always loved it, for as little as a dollar a month, a dollar... A dollar, that's like 60-something mm. pence in the current exchange rate. For as little as that a month, you can help us out, and it does a big solid. Yeah. So uh, Only, only of course, if you can afford it, and as always, act, ask Bill Payer for permission. You just get, add him on Facebook. Well, you don't even have to add him, you can just send him a message, but you look him up, he's there. Just slip into his DM. Um, he doesn't have to read Slide into Bill Payer's DMs. You, you've sent him the message, yeah. so that's, you know, that's there. Yeah. That's, that is there. And if, if you can't afford it because you're living in a society... We understand. We, we understand, live in a society as well. But we will judge you. Uh, we will judge you silently. Grim face. What so, trailers came out good, sir? Well, we had a good look at... Um, Did we now? Picard. All oh, right. Coming to Amazon Prime. The delicious Jean-Luc. Yeah, Picard looks all right, doesn't it? He looks pretty good. It looks good. And the show. Hey. hey! Patrick Stewart has aged like a fine stoner. Do you think... Because he is. Do you think he's sort of affecting a small, slightly more frail 
na- nature in this. <clears throat> From this new trailer? Because I feel like he's hardier than he is in the trailer in real life, unless I've just not seen him he, in a while. He's slung <clears throat> isn't the right word to describe him. He he is um, a little sort of uh, quieter nowadays when you mm. see him in interviews. Not, not in a way that would make you go... Oh God, is he all right? Just in a yeah, dude's getting older. Like yeah. he's allowed to get quieter. Like at this point, yeah. But um, he he still has. It's full of a lot of gumption and gusto, and I agree. I think I think Picard, unlike Patrick Stewart, is indeed probably older. I think Picard is older than Patrick Stewart is. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, because he's been Stewart, through some shit. Like Patrick you know, Stewart he's, is. He's been. Y- y- you're probably still picking out bits of Locutus. Like, yes, yeah. Well into your 70s. There's bits of Borg in there that ain't never coming out. Um, <laughs> they're in there deep. But yeah, looks looks and doesn't give doesn't give us that much more an idea of what the 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 overarching yeah. plot is, other than he has to get a ragtag crew into space, and there's a girl who wants protection and Starfleet aren't on board. Yeah, that this trailer really hammers that home. Starfleet are not supporting him in this. So it's a proper, like, you know, they are criminals, presumably, for taking on whatever this mission is. But it's the it's what's right. And he yep. obviously go, he goes for counsel uh, to to speak with, very specifically, it looks like, his his, his actual number one, not the dog he's named yeah. after him. Uh, so Riker is, is all up in this piece. Will Riker and uh, his... And his wife, Deanna Troy, let's I not know. forget. She looks amazing. Yeah, Marina Sirius does look amazing. Um, Jonathan Frakes just looks like old Jonathan just looks like Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> we made it up. That's complete fabrication. <laughs> it's false. Um, At least he turned up for this on like, the many conventions. <laughs> hey! He didn't freak out. Uh, oh. he's, he's living He's living in the Tony Stark cabin, which everyone seems to be Everyone's using living as a filming in the Tony location Stark in the last year. It's a very nice cabin. It is, but it, what other film did it pop up in where I was like, hang on, that's the cabin from... Oh, I have no idea. I think it... I think... I might be right. I think it's it. Someone has an establishing shot and they're in like a cabin by a lake. Oh, it might be Ben. No, Ben's in the, gla- Ben's in the glass window thing because he's in his little uh, boxer shorts and his business upper half. <laughs> someone's in that house at some point in a oh, film. Is it, is it might it, be it, chapter two. Is it, is it Bill when he's at home later on? Maybe? I don't know. No, no, he's 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 in England, maybe. He's in maybe England with all his old ass books that with, no one actually owns in real life. With his with his wife that appears for two minutes. Two minutes. Um, um, I like it, chapter two. <clears throat> Me too. It was the better clown movie this year. Hey, put a pin in that for later. So, um, yeah. So there's you know we've got a bit more setup of that. Uh, Data appears to be exclusively showing up in premonitions. Which is an Dreams. excuse to get Brent Spiner looking like he did, or as close as they can. As close as they can get to Brent Spiner to, to the nineties yeah. films. He's got he's got a noticeably puffy face. Yeah, which is, look well. That's the thing. I don't think that'd be as off putting were it not for the fact that they're clearly trying to downplay Brent Spiner's older face. Yeah, it looks like there's some digital trickery going on. There's got to be. There's got to be. But that's more distracting. Like I think we'd be less distracted if it was just oh he's Data but he looks a little older because Picard's older. So let's just assume he's imagining Data a bit older in his head. Data ages. Although we know that Data or possibly Law is going to rock up later from the previous trailer where well, we see somebody in parts and a cabinet. Somebody in a drawer. Didn't Data die in Nemesis? Yes. Did he explode? I believe so. He's looking good if he's but he, he, like, he, just, just being parts in a drawer like is not too bad. Considering I think he could just be like splats and scrapes on a wall. I think he backed up his positronic brain patterns to a lower quality model before he died. So nerd. There is there. There is this B four B four. 
Oh. The, the backup data. Oh. Who doesn't have all the oh. emotional gubbins that, yeah. All seven of nine. Maybe he's law knocking around. Yeah, I know. I don't know as much about Seven and Nine because I never really got into Voyager. Uh, but she's there. Not to sound completely shallow, but still smoking hot. Um, uh, well, yeah. More so yeah. now with the serious face, um, business lady haircut, and firing off two guns in a mm. corridor. Um, There's something to be said for that, definitely. But yeah, I. You know what? I'm getting Logan vibes for more than one Logan. reason. Logan, I'm a nocturnal. I'm fucking nineteen. Um. I, I'm getting Logan vibes in several ways. The fact that it's Patrick Stewart as one of the main characters in a story about a character that we love who seemingly has retired or moved on with their life and is now being brought back in for one more mission. Plus the fact that mission is started when a young girl comes to him for help. It's like, this is Logan. He's on a vineyard, which isn't too far off all the farm imagery from Logan. It's like, this. I wonder if Amazon are doing this on purpose. This, this vineyard does seem to work, though. Picard Vineyard. Picard Vineyard. That was, uh, with lovely Neil and Adam and co, that was our um, pub quiz name in um, <laughs> in What's It, Fab Cafe, a few years ago when we used to go for every the, every the Wednesday to the quiz. That's good. We were uh, uh, Vineyard Picard. Vineyard Picard. <laughs> That's very good. Um, even more timely now. Even more time. Even more of a reference. I just hope it doesn't um, suffer from the usual Amazon series order thing of a sag toward the end of the well, series. Well, it's... It's only Amazon Prime exclusive over here because it's produced by CBS All Access in the States. Ah, it's the same as Star Trek Discovery. It's just obviously Amazon outbid Netflix for the rights over here because Netflix has got Star Trek Discovery. Which is, you know, it's all right. It's and, good. If you um, like Star Trek, but a little bit sort of ruder. A little bit a little bit sexier. Um, <laughs> and, but you yeah. can't get sexier than the goddamn uniforms in DS9. No, Amazon have got a <laughs> Those original series uh, hemlines were very high. <laughs> That cannot be regulation for a nurse. Anyway. You could tell you could tell what rank everyone was, not from the badge, but from how much camel toe or ball cleft, ball cleft you could see. Ball cleft, a little ball bit cleft. of ball cleft. Mm. How much ball cleft does Riker have? Is that why he steps over the chairs? <laughs> he uh, likes the wind as it brushes betwixt his balls. <laughs> likes the swoop. Um, but Netflix have got their own <laughs> stuff coming up. We have we got a trailer for Klaus. Uh, Klaus, yeah. Klaus. Klaus. Which is an animated, an, a traditional animation. Uh, it's not completely hand-drawn. They use um, tracking software and uh, lighting plugins to give it the sort of, sort it, of more 3D feel. It, it but, sort of gives off an air of 3D yeah. motion, but it, 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 it's the design is very much like a watercolour. Yeah. It is... It is I believe it's traditional hand animation with, with digital tweaks. It's the same technology, I believe. I might be wrong. Quote me if I'm wrong about animators, but as the uh, uh, Paperman short from Disney a few years ago, you know, the black and white hand-drawn, unquote, short of the, the guy at the station with the paper airplanes. Oh, yeah. Um, same sort of colouring. It looks lovely. It does look lovely. It's, it's basically the origin story of Santa Claus, but, yeah. but not sort of you know you know the Santa Claus the movie or which Jason <laughs> Santa Claus the movie or as I like to call it the unsubtle Superman the oh, movie I remake I love it I love it it's terrible um, Jason Schwartzman <laughs> I love it but it's not great mostly because Sch- it's like two separate movies glued together in the middle so we've got Jason Schwartzman's uh, loser postal worker strikes deal with uh, toy maker Klaus and who's played by J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons and looks enormous and is like, I'll deliver your toys because you make the best toys. And we, and we go from there. Uh, and it's a very sort of horrible, nasty village and 
Uh, Jason Schwartzman's giving it his best Ryan Reynolds voice acting performance, it yeah. seems. Well, I mean, Jason Schwartzman's always kind of been in that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ooh, but I did have to, realm. after I watched the trailer the first time, I had to be like, that's that's not yeah. Ryan Reynolds, is it? I had to look yeah. it up just to be sure. We've got, who've we got? We've got Rashida Jones, we've got Joan Cusack, we've got Norm MacDonald. Oh, people keep, people keep hiring him. Yeah. Will Sasso's in it, I know that much as well. Yeah. yeah. So He's we, lovely. Know. Will Sasso. Lemons! <laughs> Um, so you know that's coming out it looks good it, but it looks they, gorgeous they, they they do invoke the Christmas Chronicles in the advertising so hopefully it'll be better than that was reported to be yeah what I will say is this and it's campaigns on Twitter have been starting already if you love traditional hand-drawn animation and you can get to a screening of this yeah because it is getting a theatrical release I believe it's on the 8th of November before it's released to Netflix on the 15th mm. If you can get to a theatrical screening of it, not sure about the UK ones yet, but there are in the States, go to it. I saw one tweet describe it as, go to it like it's going out of fashion. If you uh, have to see it a couple of times that night, or if you have to like watch it a few times on the day uh, the trailer drops, uh, the, 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 ep- the, the movie drops on Netflix, yeah. please do. Because if this does well, Netflix are definitely going to invest in more hand-drawn animation projects. Which, let's face it, anybody out there who loves animation is pretty damn desperate to see return. Yeah, I'd love to see some more hand-drawn Disney the, stuff. The last big theatrical Western theatrical release to be hand-drawn was 2011's Winnie the Pooh. That was it. <sighs> Which was also having a bit of a resurgence this week on Twitter. Uh, because people were talking about uh, Todd Phillips' comments on comedy... Uh, uh, saying like you know people have obviously been putting up as many clips from modern comedy films as they can to kind of prove that shut up comedies are still hilarious yeah even Mark Maron who is in Joker has yeah. sort of indirectly called Todd Phillips out for that good good on him but he doesn't take bullshit really does he no. like he very openly talks about how he hates comic book movies but he knows they're not for him so that's fine and then sort of mocks everybody for enjoying them yeah but then makes a point always of saying like I kid if you like him that's awesome and it's like thank you Mark Maron you're doing it for the sake of humour and pessimistic delivery. Um, because everything is awful. Yes. Everything is drab and it's not very good. Um, but enough about Joker. So, <laughs> go see this like it's gone out of fashion. And that Winnie the Pooh clip online is magical. People are rating the ga- like the amount of gags that happen within a two minute space. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, and they don't even show the punchline at the end where Owl flies out of the pit they're all trapped in to give Piglet instructions on how to get rope to save them and then flies back down and looks <laughs> <the rest> completely baffled <laughs> it's so good um, um, so yeah Klaus I am not Christmassy but I will watch the shit out of it on the day it drops you know since we're talking about Joker today yeah. it might be good to also mention another um, pop culture property which has a rabid Nihilistic. irrational fan base uh, this fan base uh, weirdly idolising the central character despite the central character clearly not being a good person Yeah. Uh, this fan base getting behind that central character and wishing they could be like him despite even the creators acknowledging he's not a good person yeah we're talking yeah, about Rick and Morty Matt yeah let's do it oh god um, here we go we're disclaimer. getting five episodes disclaimer we like Rick and Morty we do like Rick and Morty we don't like Rick and Morty fans we're getting <laughs> There's a lot of self-loathing on this podcast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're getting uh, four, five episodes. Five of series four. As the trailer says, half the season you deserve, all the season we can handle. So my, suspicion, my feels... suspicion is Adult Swim mandate for overseas markets. Yeah, you're like, we have to get some of this shit 
We have to get out, some out there. Rick and Morty out this year. It has to be out this year. Um, and we were told earlier in the year that it would be out this year. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we get five now and five in January. I wouldn't be surprised if we get five now and five next November. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Um, as long as these guys are employed, yeah. getting to tell the stories they want. Fine. Cool. Are they paying their animators? Yeah. As long as they're paying their animators properly. Gotta we're pay, okay. pay the animators, Morty. Don't make the animators crunch. If dollar, we're avoiding, dollar an hour. If we're <laughs> avoiding animator crunch and paying them properly, then that's fine. Um, Mr. Poopy Butthole. Mr. Poopy Butthole. Uh, a fleet of me-seeks swarming a street. Something I worried about seems to be happening. What's that? Using popular tropes from the previous episodes to tell stories, when what was kind of unique about the last three series was they never did that. They would never return to the popular well, yeah. ever. Me-seeks appeared in one episode, and then one of them's in like a crowd scene later on, and that's yeah. it. You know, Mr. Poopy Butthole appears in one and then gave a wonderful weird little tag to the end of the series. <laughs> you know, like... Uh, 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 but um, Mr. Morty's Mind Blowers replaced Interdimensional Cable after two Interdimensional Cable episodes. Like, <laughs> they make a point of not doing what you want them to do again yeah. and again. So I'm slightly worried that we're going to, you know... We're going to see more um, returns to the stuff that works. Going back to the well is less exciting. not necessarily a bad thing, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's November 10th in the US. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on... Um, it'll probably be on Netflix again over here, but we'll Give keep an eye on Give me more Crobopulous Michael. <laughs> oh, he's dead though, isn't he? Yeah, but he just... Well, give us more. Give it's us a cyborg more. now. Like it, like it, <laughs> like it matters. Um, the only returning thing I'm fussed about is Evil Morty, and even then, don't give us Evil Morty in season four. Make us wait still, because that's what was beautiful about the the Rick Galantis thing. Yeah, episode, that was, was really you good. didn't see it coming until the last two minutes, and you were like, "Wait, what? You'll never see me coming." But we can see Zombieland Double Tap coming we on the feel horizon it twice. We we saw the new trailer in front of Joker earlier this week, and it's been uh, the Red Band trailer that's been circulating around the web. Um, so you know yeah, a yeah. lot of stuff we've seen before. Tallahassee no longer says "Get off me" when, <laughs> when he gets his knee sat on. I'm now he fuck says, about what you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> he can drop them f bombs. I love it. Um, Bill Murray's being interviewed. Bill Murray is being interviewed about being in Zombieland. Is presumably. it about being? Yeah, we don't know what it's about, but yeah. Bill Murray's been interviewed about being in something. <laughs> Weird. And then a nice bit of editing afterwards as a clip from somewhere else in the movie of Tallahassee going, didn't see that coming. So it's yeah. like, wait, what? Um, considering Bill Murray is alive in the original film as himself and then dies. Um, by the way, Zombieland Double Tap has a scare zone in Orlando's uh, Universal Halloween Horror Nights this year. Brilliant. Watched some footage the other day. They have got, obviously, scare actors done up as not as gory zombies as, like, previous years where they've done zombie-themed stuff. They're still gory, yep. but they're not as, like, you know, as gory. Apart from the clown from the first one is knocking around. <laughs> I saw footage of someone walking around. There was one that dressed as Bill Murray, like, with, oh, the, with the wig and the good. golf jacket. Very yeah, good. Zombieing around, and then he'd look at... They caught him on camera a couple of times, sort of looking around, and then just walking casually, like... <laughs> so it's playing Bill Murray in the first Zombieland. That's which is good. brilliant. I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see Double Tap. I'm interested to see where it yeah, goes. I like I like Emma Stone. I'm a, Abigail Breslin's great. I'm a fan of Woody Harrelson in films. 
Don't ask him about, uh, what was that film that had the whole Reddit thing going on? Oh, I can't remember now. Christ, it was that film he was in. People kept asking him about it and it became like a meme after that. Uh, um, and now we will never do another Reddit don't, AM. Don't ask him about getting drunk at Wimbledon. Yeah, don't ask, Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> he hosted Saturday Night Live last week. A uh, week before last, when yeah. this goes out. Um, he's alright. He seems a bit awkward with line reading. But the pre-recorded sketches, he's on fire. Um, and he played... Uh, Joe Biden in one of the skits. Okay. And he was really good. So, but it's like, when they do political skits, they kind of commit to cast members. So it's like, so is he now going to be like on call to play Joe Biden every time they need Joe Biden? Uh, if they can get him. Because like, when they need Trump, they bring back Baldwin, regardless. Like, if, they if keep they bringing can, him back. If they can get his organic pears, <laughs> then yeah, he'll come back. Yeah, he does. They can't doesn't. bring back his organic pears, they'll have to find another Biden. He'll refuse. Phoebe Waller-Bridge was the host last week. I saw her opening monologue. It's fucking brilliant. The opening monologue is, is stellar. It's one of those... You can... there's, there's one sketch she's in that is one of the funniest things I think SNL might have done in about 40 years, which is a, a, a words from the war, which is a letter writing thing between a husband and wife, one at war and, and one at home. And it's it's just... It's so well paced. It's <laughs> fucking excellent. SNL is mostly misses. Do you that f- one is an absolute hit, and it's mostly down to the escalation of the gag, but also just Phoebe Waller-Bridge's actual English accent helping cement the joke. Do you find the that- only cast member who's funny is Keenan Thompson? Yes. Do you find yes <laughs> that SNL hosts? tend to give better opening monologues when they are comedians who write their own material? Yes. Yes. When they're guests, it's fine, but it's written for them, so it's more about the whole, like, hey, this is... I have a, I have a weird mixed feeling about SNL in general. Whenever I hear stories about it and how, like, nightmarish it is to get your own sketches, like, you know, pitched and, yeah. and accepted, yeah. how horrible the atmosphere is, the, the tight rehearsal schedule, all this, I keep listening to that, and I just want to turn to them and go... Bitch, please, we used to churn out seven of those fuckers live every afternoon on CBBC. <laughs> Y'all motherfuckers are lightweights. Um, but, you know, unique position. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the, that was the uh, big damn SNL minute. Yeah. Courtesy of Zombieland <laughs> Double Tap. Um, now, fun. I want, it, I want it to be good. I want to have fun with it. Let's get on to uh, the topic of the week. Gah. You've seen our we spoiler free. You've seen our spoiler free. In a society. <laughs> You have seen our spoiler-free review on YouTube, presumably, uh, and if you haven't, uh, you should. Um, it's what you fucking deserve. You've also seen the movie, presumably, because every fucker else did. Um, we're not going to waste too much time on non-spoilers. Yeah, we're, we're just going to breeze through our general impressions of it. I liked our emails it. are also about Joker, so yeah. if you don't want spoilers at all, go Stop watch the film and then come back to listen to this in a couple um, of minutes. So, oh, lordy. Joker is a 2019 motion picture starring Joaquin Phoenix and co-written and directed by Todd Phillips. It's about, sort of, the DC Comics character, kind of, in a way. The film is a homage slash love letter slash rip-off of Scorsese's King of Comedy, Taxi Driver, and a little bit of Fight Club. It is an unpleasant, nasty film, which has been getting very, very mixed reactions, originally just of two extremes. People who hated it, thought it was garbage... And people who absolutely loved it thought it was incredibly deep and fulfilling to watch. It now has a third set of reactions of which we seem to both be of the camp of. Ugh, but good I, stuff. I think I'm more <laughs> positive on it than you are. Yeah. It made me feel physically sick. There's my review. It the made... film made me feel 
physically unwell. And I don't mean during. I mean thinking back over it as the credits rolled. My my overall thoughts... You've been dreading this, haven't you? Yeah. You <laughs> turned to me at the cinema the other day and you went... Oh, look... Can you not talk about it when you get home so, yeah. Lu- so Lucy doesn't have to hear you talk about it? <laughs> I was like, it's fine. I'm not I f- and to my credit, I, I didn't bring it feel, up at all after I got out of the car. I feel for I your on good omens and watch something fun instead. <laughs> yeah, that's all, uh, you know, that I, I just that was on my worry. And it's fine. I um, filled myself with positivity and watched Michael Sheen enjoying crepes. Oh, fan, fucking tastic. Um, <laughs> I am more positive on this film than you are. I think it's... Well, you're it's, wrong. It's okay. <laughs> With some really strong performances and Ooh. some good ideas, but is ultimately a bit flimsy and nowhere near as smart as it thinks it is. I think it is a really bad script with a really gross central message. Before anyone's like, whoa, is it inspiring shooting? No, that's... No. I'm not sure no. it has a central message. That's, not that's my to... problem with it. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it feels <clears throat> it does, and as a result, it's just garbled nonsense. Yeah. Um... But the whole movie is elevated by its inspirations. Like, any time it is really closely resembling the two films it most drastically um, copies from, Mm. it works. But when you think about that, you're like, oh, what was the point then? I could just watch... I went home, checked Amazon Prime, King of Comedies on Prime. Added to the watch list, gonna revisit it. Um, I think it is a film that is elevated... By its central performance yeah. of Joaquin Phoenix as Arthur Fleck doing the most acting. Yeah, because. But, but not in a this stinks of I want an Oscar. Really, kind if, of way. if you actually look at what is in the script, at least what, what comes through on screen, in terms of, you know, dialogue and, and action, mm. there isn't actually that much there for him. Yeah. So much of it is coming from, from him and his performance, and not much coming from. Um, the actual script, it seems to me. Yeah. I'd love to get my hands on a copy of the shooting script. Me too, actually. I'd, I'd love especially, to Especially knowing that Todd Phillips was rewriting it during production because he knew they wouldn't have time for reshoots. Because he made... Let's emphasise this. We're going to go into a separate thing about Todd Phillips. Yeah. But he made Joaquin lose all that weight. Joaquin Phoenix did not want to lose 52 pounds for this role because he's and kind of sick of doing it. I guess because of other work slash his own preferences, Joaquin was like, yeah, I'm not going to do reshoots on this because I'm not going to maintain this body slash lose all the weight again for you at a later date. <sighs> it's just rough, man. So, you know, good on Joaquin for sticking his ground on that one. Because um, you see him in interviews doing the junkets for this film and you're like, A, wow, he's super uncomfortable. And B... He looks healthy and yeah. glowing. Oh, that's because he's actually got some weight on his face. Yeah, like a fucking he's sandwich. And he's, you know, he's... Well, he ate a vegan sandwich. He's a very big vegan advocate. Um, so, I'm not sure... I, this isn't a mocking comment. Vegan I'm, sandwiches are good. I'm pescatarian, so I've got no problem fucking talking about. But, like, how do you plump up on a vegan diet? Um, Lots of potatoes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, natural carbs um, and uh, stuff like nuts. He just ate a load like of, vegan, of vegan and, pizza and mushrooms. Just and a stuff. load of vegan pizza. Yeah, like cheese substitutes. If yeah. you can, th- I've I've not come across many uh, vegan substitute cheeses. Um, oh, they've nice got some in, They've got some in the Asda. Then the little Asda. Name. I might have to try some of them. I have to give them a go. Have so you think, tried a Beyond Meat burger yet? No. Oh fucking hell! Did you see? Really nice. <sighs> did you see? <laughs> did you see Brew Dogs Hybrid Burger? 
Oh, jeez. Right, for those who don't know, Brewdog is a bar in Manchester. Uh, not just in Manchester, there's a few, there's oh, loads of them all over But place. this was the Manchester one that was plugging it, wasn't it? Well, there's two in Manchester, the... there's one on Oxford Road. Oh, yeah, and one and on And then there's one on, there's uh, one, uh, on, no, no, one um, no? on Peter Street. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, okay. opposite the AMC. Uh, um, they, <laughs> hybrid burger. Fuck me, Basically, right. they wanted to, they know people like to have the vegan option, not necessarily because they're vegan, but because, you know, they enjoy it. They enjoy mixing it up in their diet. So their thought process was, let's create a hybrid burger, a burger that features the best of a meat eaters option and a vegan option. Now, if you were just mixing up sort of like certain elements of the vegan thing and just saying, do you know what, sod it, like we're going to make the the cheese, the vegan halloumi, vegan halloumi or something like that. Yeah. Sure, whatever. That's great for people who want dairy substitutes, but... What the f- that's like saying we'll give you the vegetarian option, but for extra fifty p we'll put bacon in it. Yeah, it's like what? No, that's, yeah. What the hell's wrong with you? And the way they were putting it is like it's the best of both worlds. It's like no, no. It's you're missing the no, point. No, you fucking idiots. Uh, suffice to say, they're not sponsoring the podcast. Yeah, we're sponsored by almost favorite. No, we're not. But, yeah, but if, this we, if fucking, they could, if they'd like to, this fucking hybrid burger. <sighs> it's fifty percent meat and fifty percent. Plant-based Beyond Meat burger. What the fuck's the point in that? I think that perfectly sums up Joker. What really. the fuck is the point? <laughs> yeah, that's it's, just... it's 50% one thing, 50% another. Neither should be put together. No. And they don't quite make anything worth buying. Your Beyond Meat uh, the comment just got me going on that one. Yeah, that's, that's fine. fucking weird. It uh, works. Joker. It works. I, th- I think after the 70 tangents I insert, you're owed at least one. Let's... <laughs> Let's go into spoilers on Joker. Yes. And go into um, why it doesn't quite work. General thoughts. Me. If you liked it, awesome. If you haven't seen it and you're unsure, go see it. You might get something really good out of it. People are really we liking rec- it, so there must be it. something there. Friends of the right? show, big fans of it. Go see it for yourself. But what follows <clears> now is our spoiler-filled thoughts and opinions on the movie yeah ours not yours if they don't match that's totally fine i can't believe i still have to say things like this but here we go i mean so right i hated this movie i didn't hate it i liked aspects i admired some choices so what did you like let's 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 kick off with some positives let's kick off with um, some positives I like Joaquin's performance yep. as Arthur Fleck. Yep. I don't feel he mishandles the aspects to do with mental illness, implied Asperger's, things mm-hmm. like that. He does not mishandle it, and he does not do it in a Rosie O'Donnell on getting the bus with my sister kind of way. <laughs> like it is, it is you know, it, it is it's masterfully handled with a great air of sensitivity. His turn towards psycho- psychopathy is believable. And troubling. And at no point does he play it up to the camera as though it's a good thing. You definitely don't want Arthur, by the third act of this movie, you don't want him to go down the path he does. The 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 earned feeling of like, and now he's the Joker, comes from our external knowledge and love of that character. So it's exciting to see the Joker be birthed on screen. Yeah. But it's not it's not his intention. I don't. And, I don't. And feel rightfully like... so, you kind of feel conflicted in the last act on yeah. whether or not you should really be enjoying watching him doing what he's doing. Yeah. I don't think the camera or the editing um, is that 
sensitive toward it. I think no, they no, play no. up that this is, isn't this awesome, guys? Which I feel is kind of gross, but we'll get back to that. But And I think they're also kind of coming at it from the perspective of the characters in the universe yeah. that our because so the whole thing is that he, his initial murders yeah which are which are start out as self-defense but then suddenly des- then yeah, do like descend into the, the first homicide. shot is self-defense yeah and then he's like fuck this i'm gonna just kill these three guys yeah um that then inspires a group of clown-faced protesters to so the protesters which the film kind of ignores yeah which, which is one benefit the idea of it growing in the background is intriguing yeah but every time it touches on it it sort of acts as though the audience has been following that story yeah as well, there's a whole sort of shown us anything there's a whole sort of working class movement that is very much against the the mega rich who they view as the elite of the city, and we, they we adopt the clown as their sort of we don't motif learn why the city doesn't like thomas wayne Aside from that, he's rich. Like we kind of—he's a bit to, tone deaf. True, but like, we never he's... see him be like that publicly. Really, <clears throat> we get told later on that the reason they started dressing as clowns wasn't because of a clown killing businessmen on the subway. It was because he originally, at some point, referred to the people of Gotham as clowns. It was both. So did that happen at the same time? I think so. Or was it a case of he said that? No, I think and he then said this it... clown murder happens, and everyone takes that as a call to arms. I think he said it first, and then the clown murder happens, and then everyone takes it as a call to arms. That's the that's the feel I got from it. Cool. I just I but, I don't know. It's, yeah, uh, this version they, they of... needed to show us more why the city or the working class of the city of Gotham because it's like the, Thomas Wayne because it's the garbage strike. But he all we saw of his campaign earlier in the film was like I'm going to sort this out. It's been left too long. So do you know what I mean? We needed. Yeah. It, it felt like there was some kind of. It felt like the movie was. I don't. I don't want to get too like in depth political. I'm just using this as like a as a as a, a generalization. It felt like the movie was sort of making anti Trump esque statements, whilst at the same time, um, sort of not being completely sort of like, yeah, this is where we stand on it. So it was playing yeah. it safe. The, the, a the too film much. goes into quite a lot of interesting political angles and then doesn't actually take a stance on them. Yeah, like, I, I only be... use Trump as a coral as a, as a comparative because. Thomas Wayne is a big businessman who's now just getting into politics. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's... There is it, that... He does seem to have a lot of support from the people around him and his immediate sort of peers and political um, representatives all seem to be completely on his side. There is that the sense... speaking out. There is that sense of um, anti-rich sentiment uh, from the working class. But the working and, class protests are almost portrayed like the current day America's rights perception yeah. of Antifa. You know how like a lot of the right, yeah. especially within political power, push Antifa yeah. as a terrorist organization. Yeah. Like, it, whereas they are nothing of the sort in the way they act or. Yeah. Or, or it protest. feels like they're trying to do the sort of the more socially minded, um, left wing sort of protests, but also mix the sort of weird violence of things like the the, the, uh, the right charlottesville protests and, and things yeah, yeah. um it's it's odd and, and people will say like just, that's got nothing to do with like the film about joker it kind of is because yeah. they're choosing to tell this sort of story at this time it's absolutely in in america yeah. like we can look at it from a non-political angle maybe in five ten years time but i don't we know if we can it. though because oh, true, it's but... because i think it is so concerned with this sort of working class elite struggle 
if you evoke, that is inherently yeah, political. If you evoke current day events in your movie, yeah. it asks for comparison. Also, there's the whole people, gun control people thing. People go into the cinema to forget. Oh, don't even get me started on that. People go into the cinema to forget the real world for two hours and submerge the story. I don't think that's necessarily oh, well, the case, especially well with genre with genre cinema. Certainly, like this is pretending to be, as he's talked about it, he's pretending to be a comic book movie. So but, you kind of go into it expecting. A certain detachment from reality. Like I think it's certain, a- certainly parallels. Think about the Dark Knight and stuff. Like, there's definitely ways to do yeah. parallel. But you you want to go in to see a story for two hours. If you invoke stuff that people are reading about every day, yeah, then you're going to start thinking about that while you watch the movie. But, but also, I think most, if not all, media is inherently political, even if it's only subtly. Oh, surely, yeah. And sure so political. you can't. Yeah. Um, I, what I mean from the escapism is just like I. I didn't want to watch that shit on the news and then an hour later watch a movie that's just making me think about the news I was watching an hour ago. Yeah. Immediate, I kind of want to have a, a, le- a level of detachment, at least on my first viewing. You know, it's the sort of stuff you kind of want to... You'd rather it sit with you and you think about it as time goes by and be like, yeah, so that's kind of... Yeah, all right, this, whereas instead of just, you know... You know, I honestly think that's what they were aiming for, mm. but I just don't think the script's subtle enough for that. Yeah, there's no, is. There, is, there is no subtlety in this, actually, no. because there is a moment towards the end where, in spite of Joaquin Phoenix's great performance, there is a moment where he, the fateful talk show moment where the, the whole film's building up to, where he goes on the talk show and, and has his sort of public unveiling, yeah. as it were, where he does just deliver the entire thesis of the film in a three-minute monologue. Oh, it's a really clumsy written. And it's it's just it's just a mess. It's just uh, I was almost on board with the movie. I was like, actually, yeah, this is. So it's got it's it's pretty good. But I'm this is pretty good. I'm 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 more or less on board with this. And then he just delivers that monologue. I'm like, I don't care anymore. Because that monologue didn't feel like Arthur Fleck was saying it. It felt like Todd Phillips' script was saying it. Yeah. Now again, another thing that that we couldn't help but bring into the theater with us. Was Todd Phillips because he's been he's been shooting his mouth off all in all sorts. To be fair, between, between, his mouth between, up between in, the between the film festival screening a yeah. month and a half ago and the release, he's been especially more so than normal. Like he's yeah. been very vocally discussing his opinions on the world, on politics, on the audience for this movie, on he's the like, media. Oh film. yeah, you can't you can't do comedy anymore because of this woke climate and all that bullshit. Which is which ba- is apparently he, he then said that's why he made Joker. But, because he couldn't then, do a comedy anymore. But to the point where there is a moment in, in Joker where Joker himself is like, well, you know, comedy is subjective and I thought murdering people was funny. And I'm like, is that what you is that what you want to go with, Todd? Is that what you want your epitaph to be? That's another thing as well. Like In that moment, in that scene, it's the first we as an audience are kind of hearing from Arthur's mouth, really. Yeah. The idea that Oh no, the murderer that I have become is the real me. Like, I, I was locked away. Like, he implies Which, it in the scene with his mum in yeah. the hospital. But he's, you know, you sort of go, oh, okay, okay then. Um, wait, is that who you are now? Like, this is the first you've said it. Like, up until this point, every way you've behaved has completely stuck to, like, the rules and the truth that you've established as the character throughout the movie. It's only in this monologue that feels weirdly detached. Are you now suddenly talking like Todd Phillips' opinions meets Todd Phillips writing a monologue for the comic book character, The Joker? Yeah. And it's really odd. You didn't get the sense earlier on that Arthur liked killing people. It I, was I it was the kind free, it, of did. You felt more like he, he liked standing up for himself and being noticed. Yeah. But he talks about 
the murders as though they're a joke on the thing. And it's in a way yeah, where I was like, yeah. that feels odd to me. He does like to dance a lot. <laughs> God. That is, again, interesting trope. They use it way too much. So much. much. The movie is so two much. hours long. It could have been uh, at least 15 minutes shorter and, and tighter if they had trimmed down those sort of sequences. I don't know that I wanted it to be... Some of the long shots were good, though. Like yeah. the, the opening shot, just like... The opening shot's just watching him put on the makeup and trying to practice a smile and clearly kind of being very upset with his, his lack of ability to just naturally grin. Was, was you know, it's troubling stuff to watch. You're like, who is this guy? Is he alright? What's wrong? What's his bag? What's his deal? He's absolutely not alright. He's perfectly applied makeup and by the time he's finished practicing there's just that one glob of it down his face yeah. where he's started crying. You're like, okay. Um, I'm a big fan of the Joker. The comic book character. He's one of my favourite fictional villains. Um, there's a reason he's beloved. There's a reason why all versions of him before have kind of stuck to the core of the character. And I don't think this version isn't a valid version of the Joker. I but I think it, this is the least Jokery Joker we've ever had. I think there's one very important element of the Joker that this film absolutely does not go into. Hit me. His intelligence. Yeah. Like the fact that he's a fucking... He's a master planner, mm. and he does have. He does have, you know, sort of harebrained schemes, but they're meticulously Joker planned. Joker products, yeah. Brand. He's been using brand, and X. it's none of that in this. This version of the Joker is just a very lucky, scrappy idiot. Yeah, he he just he just about gets through everything. He has no talent for fighting. No marksmanship. Yeah, he doesn't guy. doesn't use. He doesn't really. He's got a bit of combat pragmatism in the way that he, he kills Randall with scissors, doesn't he? Yes, and, but um, even then, it that feels premeditated in that moment. Yeah, he gets to drop like, on someone. It's yeah, not a, it's it's not a it's not a when he comes around here, I want to do this, and I'll do. It. And then after it's happened, he's kind of knackered because yeah. it's taken a lot out of him. And when if you if you put this version of the Joker up against even the most incompetent version of Batman, it would be fight the the whole confrontation would be over in two seconds. Yeah. Because he takes a right hook to the jaw, he's down. Yeah. There's no sense of... There's no sense of danger about this isn't him, almost. The, this isn't the clown prince of crime. No. This isn't the, the, the knave of nightmares. It isn't, it isn't even this, a... You know, it isn't even... This isn't the gesture of, of genocide. Like, all not, the nicknames he's ever had, none of them applied to this Joker. No, he's all. just he's just a bit of a schmuck. Yeah. With a gun. He shoots people. And, of course, that is, you know... <sighs> It's more realistic, but also it's not. It's people not a good adaptation of the character. People aren't interested in Sherlock Holmes because he wears a funny hat. No, people are interested in Sherlock Holmes because of his um, his intellect, his intellect, his, his, his problems, his relationship with his partner. Yeah, like the, the you know, people are interested in the Joker because of his look, because of his character, because of the stuff that you know about him and the stuff you you'll never know about him, um, and specifically. He's interesting because of his relationship with Batman, yeah. or at least he is, what Batman represents. He is chaotic and unpredictable. Yeah. Whereas Batman is rigid and stoic. Yeah. Batman's as much of a psychopath as the Joker. Yeah. The difference is one is using their their torment and their and their fragility to do what they see perceive as good and look out for the people of the city. 
Whereas the other is, is using, you know, their state of mind as a toolbox to create harm and chaos. I love how we've tried to be talking about the positives and just ended up <laughs> ragging on it straight <laughs> away. It, it, that was my experience with the movie. Every time I sort of started to buy into something, it would do something to pull me out. Of yeah, it. yeah. Like nearly every time. The, the, I like the I like the design on a purely sort of just on surface level thing aesthetically it's a gorgeous looking movie yeah it feels dirty and that's completely its intention it's very well shot and very well there's some really nice shot there's a lot of you sort of I can't <clears throat> what it's called but where you where you favor the the lines of your scene but not flat along so they're always sort of on an angle the contours of the scene are very diagonal yeah and skewed the sort of stuff that lesser directors would sort of I can't believe I just said that in relation to Todd Phillips, but there's a lot of the stuff the lesser directors would achieve yeah. just by doing a Dutch angle. Yeah, this film achieves by framing every shot where nothing is ever just a vertical or a horizontal line. Mm. Like everything's slightly off. Him walking toward Arkham, um, state, excuse me, State Hospital. You've got the arcing of the bridge on a diagonal angle. Yeah. Moments later, you're in the elevator, and the you know the the edges of the the, the room, the ceiling of the the elevator, and you know. It's really it's it's trying to show a world that's not a straight line. Yeah, and it, it so that stuff's good. It does give it does give the only place where the the, the the path is direct and simple is the staircase, which is used thematically throughout the movie. That's mm. the only place where it is like up, down, and it's horizontal lines. Put our that, film, put our film study head on, guys. Is that the same staircase from The Exorcist? It's not, is it? Uh, I don't know i would I have to look that is. up but it's definitely a similar one it's it it's, it's it reminded me it reminded me of edinburgh yeah um there's a lot of staircases like that in edinburgh <laughs> a lot of staircases um, like that in edinburgh um this, this is the hilliest gotham we've ever had in a film yeah it's a very hilly gotham uh i hate that staircase however despite staircase. all the praise i've just given to its use thematically in the movie because there is one moment towards <sighs> the end of the movie where joker in his full it's it's his coming out party. It's his coming out party. It's the first time we've seen him look like what we as the public know the Joker to look like. He dug his and on a shallow level, complete surface level. It's a great take on the great costume. looking Joker. Yeah, it's 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 the red suit from King of Comedy meets Caesar Romero's outfit with a bit of the Nicholson color scheme. Yeah, it's a great look. Um, this version of the Joker is obviously face paint he puts on. It's more of a traditional clown. And there's no scarring. There's no facial scarring. No facial scarring. Although later on there is kind of a nice nod to that when he uses the blood in his mouth to like yeah, put the smile back on. on. That was quite good. Um, was and the nice. green hair is very ledger, but all the same, it's still quite bright and vibrant. So it's, you know, very Romero and Nicholson. Like it's all the Joker kind of thing. Yeah. But they score this moment of him dancing down the stairs, mm. finally realised as who he now apparently, as we'll learn in ten minutes' time through the monologue, wants to be. They score it to a Gary Glitter song. Is it, is it Rock and Roll Part 2? Yeah. Gary Glitter, for those who, for some reason, don't know, is a pop star who is now known as a notorious paedophile and sexual abuser who stored a lot of pornographic material featuring children on his home computers. He's and currently everything. serving a sentence for, for abuse of underage girls. Yeah, which was served to him after his initial prison time yeah. of harbouring pornography of children. To use that song, any version, gives royalties to his estate and him. Yeah. So if you're yeah. using that track, you better be using it for a damn solidly argued reason. Like, you are telling a story about him or that era. 
The choice to use it here seems to be because it was out around the same time the movie set in the early 80s. That's the decision. I thought it was mid-70s. I know, but like it would still be getting airplay at this point. Like it still would be a song yeah, that would be, would be around. Um, however, however, is there really a good excuse to use his music anymore in anything that would give him money? Yeah, but not just that. It's used for about twenty seconds. There is a good excuse. They couldn't afford lost profits. <laughs> God, that is the darkest joke that will ever be made on this podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's uh, like, oh what the fuck, man? Like, it's used for 20 seconds and then the score kicks back in. What? And it's a great score as well. The score's amazing. Why? Use the score. Use the score. I... So the comments huh. section came to my eye the other day. Uh, today, this is actually, when I'm recording this. Um, <clears throat> my suggested videos, some of the soundtrack was popping up. Yeah. On my suggested videos. And one of them was that track. And I was like... <sighs> Why? I wonder. So Morbid Curiosity led me to click and pause and scroll down to the comment section. So many people were defending the use of the track in the movie because it's controversial. Oh, it's controversial. And in one case, somebody said, because this will show the libs. Controversial and quality are not the same thing. For anyone who thinks, oh, get over it, like, they're doing it just to get a reaction out of you, cool, got a reaction out of me, but they still paid royalties to a sex abuser and a child pornographer. Yay! To get that little bit of controversy going. Fucking... Fucking gross. And the more I read about Todd Phillips, the more I'm like, that was his call. Yeah. That was definitely his call. He obviously has final say as director, but you can still... Stuff can still happen in a production that's out of the director's hands. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That's solely his, I bet it is. And it's gross. Now, let's that's a nice little segue, in, actually, into the setting of the film. Yes. This movie's aesthetics, in every possible way, bar its comparison to the political and financial state and the class system of America, in that time, at the 80, at that time in the 80s, and indeed today, obviously, in certain ways. Yeah, it's still relevant today. That's, that definitely fits 1981. Nothing else Visually, (laughs) musically, Arthur's entire look and behaviour, the media that is shown throughout the film, uh, the way the political story is sort of told, how the campaigning is happening, the charity ball look of nearly every part of the upper class stuff. Yeah. All of it, everything else in the movie suggests that this film was being made with an aim to be timeless like the 89 Batman or the Batman animated series take on on Gotham yeah which is a city very much out of time Nolan obviously his Batman is set in a more metropolitan Gotham but they still never sort of give you specific shots of buildings in Gotham to kind of say like it's modern they still sort of there's a little slight timeless element to the Nolan movies but the other Batman media always kind of tries to put it in this, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of things do this. A lot of series sort of do this. To like unfortunate events, books, for example, in the subsequent series, kind of put it in this timeless pocket where it could be happening at any time. But a lot of the visuals are inspired by the twenties and thirties. Yeah, this film does that too. Everything he's watching on the TV, bar the talk show, is old school musicals and 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 black and white talkies. Yeah, uh, the elite when he sneaks in to try and meet Thomas Wayne at one point are all gathering at a giant screening of a Chaplin movie? Yeah, modern in times. In 81? I don't know. I now, don't know. I, I, I guarantee <clears throat> Todd Phillips has never watched Modern Times but heard the title and went, that'll do. 
That's a statement. Well, it is. Having modern times on a banner, that's a statement. It is about, like... Get the audience thinking. It's like, you watched it, Todd. It is about the, the sort of oppression of the working man to a degree, isn't it? It is. So... But you know how that would be more effective? How? If this movie was just set in the 30s. <laughs> if this movie was set in the 30s, around the time the Joker was first created, it would at least be very starkly different to everything else out right now. Because Todd Phillips did say that the reason he wanted to do this is because no one had done a definitive version of the Joker. No one's done a definitive version of the Joker. No one. Bill Finger. Jerry Robinson. Jack Nicholson. Heath Ledger. Alan Moore. Brian Boland. Cesar Romero. Mark Hamill. Paul Dini. Bruce Timm. Yep. No one's done a definitive version <laughs> of the Joker. Hamill again with Sefton Hill and the team at Rocksteady. <laughs> like, a lot of people have done iconic take. Cesar Romero alongside the producers of the 60s show. Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo? Yes. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. Yep. On the Mount Rushmore, that Joker is definitely on there. Mm. The thing about the Joker, because after, after watching the movie and feeling gross about it, what I tried to do is I tried to think of the film as its own beast and separate it from all of my preconceived thoughts and opinions of that character and the various versions of that character over the years. And it made me realise something. If this movie was just the story of a man called Arthur Fleck who who goes through this experience and all of the film happened exactly as it does, except it wasn't set in Gotham City, the state hospital wasn't called Arkham, the politician wasn't called Thomas Wayne, and he doesn't adopt the idea the identity of Joker at yeah. the end of it. If you took out those four things, yeah. the four key these are from the Batman world things. Yeah. This would be a pretty solid taxi driver-esque movie about a man with problems who goes through the worst shit ever over the course of a couple of weeks and snaps and causes a social political movement. See, I, I... You could tell that story and it would work <clears throat> on its own. I posited the idea that at one point it was that. Yeah. And that Todd Phillips had to stick the Joker in and stuff to get it made, but apparently it was always conceived as... It was pitched before it was written as a Joker movie. Yeah. So... But if you took guess it's the just... Joker stuff out, it would be immediately... For, for, for me, a better film. I think I think it's straining under the weight of its own... Provenance, like it, it, it got made as an adaptation of these characters, and it has to deal with the pre- the the pressure that is put on it by invoking those things. Hmm. If it didn't have to deal with those, it'd be a much better film. But because it does deal with those and deals with them, I think mostly poorly, it sort of doesn't hold up to just scrutiny. And we've talked before about ad- adaptations and how there's a difference between a, a faithful and a good adaptation. I think this is neither. So I don't think it does anything... It doesn't capture the spirit of, of the characters or the material it's drawing from. Nor does it particularly follow any of the the narrative beats of any of the material it's drawing from. With the particular exception of, of course, they killed Bruce Wayne's parents again. Um, because they just couldn't fucking resist. Take a shot. Couldn't fucking resist. Take a shot. Doing it again. Pearls. Like, you're short and play it, but to outright do it and show it Again, yeah. 
Had we seen Come them leaving the theatre and just one criminal following them down an alley? That would have been all we needed. That would have been all we needed. All we needed, but no. Because this movie insults its audience's intelligence at every opportunity. The so okay, so there's one major plot line. Zazy Beats is in this. Yes. Criminally underused. When yes. she's on screen, she's great. And you get the reveal towards the end of the film that the relationship that you've been seeing between Arthur and uh, Sophia, Zazie's Beats character. Her supporting him at the comedy club, um, her supporting yeah. him when her, his mother's sick, yeah. uh, them making out after he gets home from the murder. That's all been in his head. They've only met the once in the elevator and had that one single conversation. Really awkward exchange. Yeah. And the reveal comes when... Which is sweet until he does the gun thing in the hallway and she's clearly unnerved. Yeah. But you get that... They, that reveal comes in the form of him going into her apartment and sitting on a couch and then she comes in... This is after he's killed his mom, Yeah. She comes in and she's frightened by him and she... Great bit of dialogue. Great yeah. delivery from Zazie Beats. She, she doesn't says, quite, Yeah. You're Arthur, right? From down the hall. Yeah. And in that moment... It's like, wow, yeah, oh my God. And you see it on his face. You see him realise what's happened. Yeah. But then they have to do a flashback of all the sequences with and without her. Just so you know. Just so you know. And they're like, you didn't need that. For a film that, you know, is is, is definitely going for some ambiguity in certain things. Because then you, the next shot you see of him is, is of walking back to his apartment. So you don't know if he does anything to her. Or not, or if she's okay, or if he, if he just leaves, or he attacks her, or whatever. You don't know. Bear in mind, this is just after he's killed his mother. You don't know what happened there. But they have to make sure that you knew that it was all just a figment of his imagination. It's just like, we don't need that. It's in the text. You don't need to put it there. If you're not paying, If you're not paying enough attention to the movie for you to understand from the dialogue what's just happened... That is the movie's fault for not engaging you, and it's also kind of your fault for not engaging with the material. Um, but it, it just—it's just too much. And then it's—it is typified by, of course, the monologue towards the end that we've talked about of him just spouting all the themes of the film, no matter how contradictory and sort of clashy they are. Yeah. Um. So it's stuff like that that just makes me go. Oh, th- there's there's a there's a good film in here somewhere, but it's just full of odd bad decisions that that make it that the ambiguity thing like the fact that people look praising it because so much of it is ambiguous, but I just feel it's kind there of empty. Theories. There are theories comes, that none of the film happens. Yeah, because of the implication earlier that he'd been in an asylum. Yeah, which again the film never really touches on after initial, the initial mention of it. No, um, that he'd spent time in an asylum. And then, of course, at the end, he's dancing on the police car and the rioters are cheering him on. And then it just snap cuts to him in a one-on-one. Yeah. Well, it black, blacks out. And then it cuts back to him in a one-on-one with a therapist uh, in, in, a, in an interview room, like, it, you know, in, in presumably Arkham State Hospital, because we can't call it asylum, apparently. Um, and there are fan theories that suggest none of the film happens. Like, none of it happened apart from that last bit. Like the whole thing's imagined. Yeah, and then he walks out. You see him walk out of the into the corridor, and he's got bloody footprints. Yeah, then he walks off. Then he runs from one part of the corridor, and another inmate follows him. Or is it a guard? Probably a guard. And then he they dress the same, I think. 
and then he yeah, but if, they're, if and they're, then he runs back and like there's more people running. You're like, is he breaking people out? Like no, I think if they're orderlies, yeah, they'll, oh, be, yeah. they'll, they'll be in the same sort of like, is he uh, imagining white this? Gelp. Um, but yeah, and some people praise. It. I'm just like it just just means the film doesn't kind of come down either way or anything. Like the the, the there's some ambiguity introduced into the is he the lost Wayne's son? Is he not? That subplot um, was <clears throat> fucking dreadful. <laughs> it was really like, bad. Because, again, interesting idea. The idea that his mother is determined that Thomas is going to write because she used to work for him and all the Wayne employees are family. Because in this version, Wayne is just... He's just an industrialist. Yeah. Who has a whole big like corporate spiel of everybody's family. Everybody's worked for us in the past. Everyone works for us now. They're all family. Um, whereas... <clears throat> Every other version, he's a successful surgeon and, yeah. and a good man who uses his money to pay for charity. The only other version, I think, where the Waynes are painted as not so great people is the Telltale series, where the yeah. idea is that his dad was actually tied in with the organised crime families of Gotham a bit, which maybe one day we'll see elaborated in a hybrid production. I don't know, but... We shall see. We shall see, but <clears throat> Thomas Wayne has never really been depicted as this, because why would Batman go to bat for his deceased criminal father. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, or, or his deceased twat of a dad. Well, it, it, obviously it's a case of that he sees his dad in a different light to everyone else. But the Bruce we see in this film is just so miserable. He's and then sad little kid who's permanently dressed in formal wear. Yeah. He's playing on the playground and he's in like a... a $200 like coat and just like what is going and on then although a... did you spot the nod to 60s Batman where he gets off the playground by sliding and he goes down a pole, down a pole. so in this uh... scene you can see young Bruce Wayne slide down a pole this is identical to the pole used to enter the Batcave in the 1966 Batman television series Starring Adam West, which is also the direction the pole was facing. Sorry, guys, we accidentally just turned on an emergency <laughs> awesome video. Um, so, <laughs> just let's talk about the Waynes. Uh, Thomas Wayne. Thomas twat. Wayne. Bit of a cunt. Bit of a twat. Uh, Brett, Brett Cullen, the actor who plays Thomas Wayne, because it was originally Alec Baldwin. Yes. And then they was replaced with Brett Cullen when Baldwin had to pull out. Um, he. Thanks for that mental image. <sighs> Thanks. Uh, he's also come out and said that he believes that there was an affair between Penny and Thomas. Yes. Whether Penny, or not... Penny Fleck, which in the movie, she believes that Arthur is actually the son of Thomas Wayne. Um, and she's not asking to be in Thomas Wayne's life. She just wants some financial support for her and her boy. And Arthur approaches Thomas Wayne... Well, first he approaches Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And then is accosted by Alfred and then strangles Alfred and then um, approaches Thomas Wayne at the, the chaplain screening mm-hmm. and Thomas Wayne's like, yeah, no, like, I'm aware you are. Your mum was insane. Go away. And then later on he learns that actually, yes, his mum, like... She was committed. She was committed. Um, he, he was abused was as a child. He yeah. was adopted. His father figure, when he was much younger, was a man who beat them both severely. Which is how, which is also implied to be how he ended up with his various mental conditions. Yeah, and and as to why he's such a scrawny guy because he's malnourished from an early age. Yeah, which sort of suggests like you know appetite affected and things like that as he grows older. Um, 
But Arthur doesn't remember any of that at all, which could be repressed memory, but they don't really delve into it. Um, so you learn that basically his mother was wrong. Uh, but yeah, the, the thing he, he played, Thomas Wayne said it, and I was talking yeah. to you about it the other day, wasn't I? Like I, the way I interpreted it as well was, yes, Thomas and Penny when she worked because... with him. They they at least they at least screwed once yeah, and then he tried to cover it up by you know letting her go or because there's the, the photo there's, you see the photo with his photo with his, her, his, with with her, her on the back it's got um, love your smile T W yeah so it's either Thomas wrote that or she wrote it because she thought there was just more a, yeah between them and she was just filling out the fantasy. Um, like you know, there's the, the some that I I think based on Thomas's reluctance to talk to Arthur, full stop, and the fact that Alfred is semi-aware of him when he figures out who he is. Like, I think they definitely slept together. I don't think Arthur's Thomas's son at all because no. we know he isn't. We find out later. Um, but they're at least like, oh shit. Well, there like, is... they, this could spoil his campaign if somebody had an affair with whilst married comes out. Well, or... the fan theory is that the, all the adoption papers and stuff were forged by Thomas Wayne's people. Because people really want the Joker because and I, Batman to be brothers in this universe. Because I just, but I just think that I can't wait. I can't wait for a thirty-year-old armor-clad uh, Batman in the late two thousands to punch the shit out of a frail sixty-plus-year-old guy in clown. Yeah, makeup. even if they were contemporaries, like a, a Batman would just beat the shit out of this Joker in about two seconds. Like, there's no way. I know you said you'd be interested to see a I, version of Batman meet this Joker, like, I, because because it would be an interesting take on. Well, that what dynamic. would be interesting is, is not as brothers in a stu- well, no, no, but that, no, that not, not this context. I mean, that plot line mm-hmm. would be interesting in a Batman Joker movie where there is the tension of Batman potentially discovering or discovering the possibility that this Joker might be his brother. Yeah, there's there, there's a story there. There's a story in there, but it's a it's a Batman story. Yeah, exactly. It's like without the <laughs> like there's without... no there's no impact on Arthur Fleck aside from his obviously obviously yeah. personal revelation of being part of a family that he didn't know. There's no impact on him there in, is in a Im- compelling way. It relies on you, the audience, to be aware of who the Waynes are for it to be interesting. There Todd Phillips implica- said that this is a real movie disguised as a comic book movie, but it's he relies really. so heavily. On us knowing these characters to care about his film, yeah, and even in the story elements, not just to sell tickets. If, but if you made a more compelling film, I might have just cared about it on its own merits. But as it is, you didn't, and I, I, the the stuff, the the comic book stuff in it, I'm not isn't enough to sort of keep it, me interested. It damages it. This is like Child's Play 2019. Yeah, every time it tries to check list off stuff you expect. It moves away from what made it unique, which was whenever it did its own thing. Um, the same way that the Buddy doll didn't need to be called Chucky and it didn't need to be roughly the same plot as the original Child's Play. No. You could have created a great horror about an automated toy, like smart toy, um, you know, and, and the stuff that that can lead to. But that's the thing, though. If this wasn't pitched as a Joker movie, Warner Brothers wouldn't have invested in it. Well, the thing is, this movie's already been made <clears> twice <throat> as two separate films. I say to everybody now, <laughs> anyone who saw it and absolutely loved it and is completely baffled by our reaction to it, if you've never seen Taxi Driver or King of Comedy, please watch them. Because when you do, you'll go, oh... Oh, oh! This film already existed. Here it is. 
And again, it's personal opinion. You might still then prefer Joker, and that's fine. Obviously, it's your own opinion. Your opinion is completely fine. Yeah. Um, but at least do it because I think everything people love about this <clears throat> pre-exists in those two movies. Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, this film very blatantly nods to it. King of Comedy is about a stand-up comedian who's not very good, who becomes obsessed with a specific talk show host and wanting to appear on his show, eventually taking him hostage. Like, his fame corrupts him, he has affairs, he becomes a violent man. Um, In that original movie, the talk show host is played by Jerry Lewis and the comedian, our nasty protagonist... Because again, we're not against films about horrible people. You no. can make a film about a horrible person and it can be compelling. Really, the John Wick movies, they're about an actual murderer. Yeah. <laughs> just because just he, he does it in retaliation to his dog's death in the yeah. first movie doesn't mean he's a nice he's person. He's still an assassin. Um, like, you can make those sorts of films. In the original movie, that protagonist is played by Robert De Niro, who is cast in the role of a talk show host in this, who Arthur is obsessed with, and his big dream is to be on his show and perform his comedy on his show. It's so on the nose. It's not homage anymore. It's it's checklist. It, it yeah. It's crossed the line of homage and into imitation. Yeah. Uh, which is the which... sincerest form of fuckery. Yeah. Uh, it's like really, really you gonna go there? I just uh, yeah. watch those two movies, guys. Watch those two films, and 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 just you know, it, be completely honest with us. If you've never seen King of Comedy or Taxi Driver, or you saw Joker, and you like Joker. As a little experiment, please go watch one or both of those other films yeah. and tweet us or email us and let us know what you thought and, and how it made you feel about Joker retroactively. Yeah. Might not change your opinion at all. Might make you like it more. Might make you question it more. I'm just curious. Go out and do that. Uh, De Niro's great in this. De Niro is great. Especially in his two big scenes, the dream yeah. sequence scene. And I've seen some people complain online about like, why does he like start getting really antagonistic with him when he, when he confesses to the murders on the show? And I'm like, because... At no point do they paint De Niro's character as a piece of shit. They paint him as an arsehole. Yeah. Who who um, takes advantage of, of of this, like, clearly sort of not the, quite their gentleman for the sake of entertainment. But when they invite him on the show, they don't invite him on the show to be like, look at this dickhead. They invite him on to talk to him because people responded to the clip. Yeah. See, and it may be down to De Niro's performance or the direction, but you never get the sense that he was going to bring him out and tear into him. No. You get the sense he was giving him a chance to talk. Because he seems genuinely kind of upset and surprised when Arthur isn't playing ball at first. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. And and Joker, as he's called at this point, does point out, like, you know, you're a horrible person. Like, you took, you took, you know, took the piss out of me and then you brought me on your show to keep doing it. It's like, you know, no point is in play that. Of course... He's going to start to be like, right, so hang on, you kill those people. Like, why? Of course he's going to do that. Because panicking's not going to help. No. And you get the sense that he is, he does have some integrity. Yeah. He's and not, also... He's not a completely wonderful person. Yeah. But he's got some integrity. So he's got this guy here and he's like, right. And he's very stern with him, but he's, yeah. he's never hostile with him. He's stern with him. And also he's he doesn't... handling it the right way. He doesn't expect him to have a gun. Yeah. Also... In the 80s, in America. So... Yeah, all right. Chris is Chris, for the, for those of you who can't see us, which is all of you because it's an audio program. Apart from the uh, creepy bugger in the corner, Christopher is is massaging his temples oh, in in uh, in pain at trying to pass this in his head, in his mind. In his Whoever mind started pass. it, and I don't know who, 
We don't know who. It could be a, uh, it Billy, could be a Warner Brothers originated... It wasn't Billy Joel. He didn't start the fire. He didn't start the fire. Uh, it's always been burning since the world's been turning. But, um, <laughs> just think, if you come up with a song now, you too could be a meme in 30 years. <laughs> so, If you I live mean, in a society, you can be a meme now. Oh God, I don't know who began it. Whether it was artificially created by Warner Brothers or by people at the production. Whether it just sort of naturally spiralled. But a big press narrative for this movie has been, is this film going to inspire violence? Now, here's the thing. The answer to that question is, it was never made for that purpose. Yeah. That's the answer to the question. You can't definitively say no, because violence erupts from the individual. Yeah. The film is not a call to arms, so make it clear that no, this film is not designed film... or intentioned to inspire acts of the violence. The film doesn't have enough integrity or um, enough... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't have enough of a message to be a call to arms. It doesn't have enough conviction yeah. in its themes to be a call to arms. Quite rightly so in some aspects. It doesn't say Arthur is right in what he chooses to do. But it also then muddles the message by like talking about, like no, he's right to make these points, and he's right to make a stand here. But there is a guy holding a sign saying, kill the rich. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> now, now, that's of course stood at press and this, that, and the other, and blah de blah de blah de blah de blah Well, but yeah. we do live in a world where in the primary country of release for this film, the United States of America... The country of production. Someone can walk into a store and if they have a relatively unquestionable mental record or doctor's record or certain permissions, certain allowances, they can purchase then and there a firearm. Well, uh, now, I'm uh, not going to get into the... A lot of states don't necessarily have background checks and Yeah, some, some of them are like... They're right there next to the freaking chocolate bars and, you know, not literally, but, you know, the idea that you can just pop the shot and be like, oh, well, I'm out. I'll pick up a gun. <laughs> pick up a gun. Now, I'm not getting into a Second Amendment debate, but I will say this. Oh, this is all I'll say on that. It's called an amendment. It's there to be amended. <laughs> Do you have small villages and territories that are under threat by other people looting them anymore? 30 or 50 feral hogs, maybe. For God's sake. Do you have to hunt for your food anymore? <laughs> no. Okay. That's my thoughts on that. Um, but And like, this movie it, does it, it, touch on gun control very briefly. Very briefly, but it also so briefly. is a movie where Arthur getting hold of the, a gun, it's implied for the first time in his life, yeah. is the thing that makes him feel free and alive and when powerful. he shoots in retaliation at first yeah. and then with intent, the three businessmen on the subway. Right down to, like you said before... Him getting out of the damn train yeah. and following and shooting several times in the torso, the third businessman. And he falls down on the steps, just like in the French Connection. Yeah. Did you know Todd Phillips also watched and enjoyed the French Connection? Oh, God. So, <laughs> so while the movie does not endorse real-world gun violence... It doesn't. It does. It does. It does. However, have a character gain his sense of freedom and power that leads us on the protagonist's journey to self-discovery start with him being handed a gun. A gun which he says he can't buy. 
Yeah. He's not allowed to buy. So yeah. the film makes a point of being like, of course Arthur shouldn't be allowed a gun. But someone still handed him one. And narratively, it was the device that starts his turn toward who he becomes. So it is kind See, of an anti-gun movie in that sense. In that but... sense, but the gun was still the thing they used to make a point. What I'm saying is, it reinforces the idea that in the real world, people who shouldn't hold fire or shouldn't really be allowed firearms can get hold of firearms. Mm. Would Arthur have spiralled into this had he not had a gun? I think it would have been more interesting if he did. Exactly. As a narrative choice, it would have been yeah. way more interesting if he didn't have a gun. would have been way more interesting if he didn't have a gun. Um, it would have been way more akin to the comic book character that the film is invoking. The Joker uses guns, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't just go around shooting people unless he thinks there's a joke in it. He likes to use knives. He likes to. He loves to use knives. <laughs> he loves to use freaking boxing gloves. He sprays um, toxic gas in people's faces that contort their faces into a rictus grin and then kill them, based on who's writing it, through poison or through suffocation because their breathing channels are now all, like, creased up. Like, you know, the Joker is not a gun. I just... I find the, I find the context of firearms in this movie odd because like you say there's a lot of anti-gun messages in it but our protagonist still feels liberation because initially he fires off at people and kills them with a gun which he then keeps it provides one of the movie's most genuinely darkly humorous moments where he's dancing in the hospital and we see him on the job and you go oh my god this job suits him perfectly like he is happy and he's making people happy like that's great and then the gun falls out of his pants yeah and everybody's just like what the fuck he scoops it up and he's like, uh-huh. Shh. <laughs> like, that is a, a wonderfully dark comedic moment. And I remember in the cinema, I don't know if you felt me to your right, but, like, to your left, but in the cinema at that moment, I went, because <gasps> it just took me by surprise yeah. like how sharp that moment was. Um, uh, you know, and I, I people are going to be listening to this and immediately as well, jump into the reaction of like, oh, you just have a problem with guns. Or do-. Yeah, yes, I do. I do. <laughs> but I don't, pro- I don't have a problem with them in cinema, in film, in storytelling. No, they have their place. The same reason why the military need firearm. The same reason why uh, law enforcement in certain countries need firearms. In certain states, in certain uh, examples and cases need firearms. Like, there is a place for defense in the real world. But, like, it, it's just weird how much this movie is very anti-gun, mm. but is very reliant on guns to tell its mm. story. I find it really, really weird. And like you say, it would have been ten times in, more interesting if he didn't have a gun and defended himself differently in that moment. Because it, it, it's... I've, we've cited this before, I talked about it last week as well. It, it, this is one of those movies that... It, it, plays, on, it plays on fantasy fulfilment to a point we all have yeah. frustrations we all are in positions where something is horrible that we wish could change be it our finance our life the way our you know a healthcare system is, well, is the... or isn't looking after us there are certain things we'd love to do that twat in the car behind us who keeps beeping even though I can't yeah, do anything yeah. you'd love to get out and just slap him of course you would You're this movie definitely does feed into some of those desires yeah falling down is an example I've cited before yeah. of, a, of a film that does that for the first 15 minutes, and then the character played by Michael Douglas starts to do things and say things that any nice, normal person who is still 
is human and gets some kind of kick out of watching him do what he's been doing for the first 15 minutes, yeah. would go, oh, hang on, that's... That's coin too that was That was racist. Yeah. Where, where the hell did that come from? Oh, hang on, no, oh, okay, you're going a bit too far. And that film preys on that on purpose. It kind of gets you into fantasy fulfillment place and then shows you, yeah, but the reason you don't do this is because you're not a monster. an evil piece yeah. of shit. Like, in that movie, he has some problems, but it is very clearly signposted that he is a horrible person. And, yeah. and the movie toys with you for that first 15, 20 minutes before really really brings in the story of the detective who's been looking into his thingy and trying to find him. And you realise he's not just sacking off work for the day, he's actually pursuing his ex-wife and child who are, for safety reasons, like in a different city and everything from him now. Like, you, you know, Joker definitely has some aspects of that to a point. We've all had that horrible day at work where we just want to quit in a spectacular fashion. Oh, yeah. Like, when he leaves and he sort of makes... He clears his thing after he's been fired and he makes a point of insulting everybody and then comes back in. And even though, obviously, it's it's uncomfortable to watch to a point because of the way Arthur does it, yeah. he says, wait, I've got to punch out. And he just punches the, the clocking thing off the wall. Yeah, that was quite... And then scribbles out. There was it, don't forget to smile. And he just scribbles out the forget to yeah. on the side on the way out with a marker that he's clearly brought in for that purpose and... Like, stuff like that is kind of like, yeah, oh, you get it. You get it. Oh, you but get it, Arthur. There's little moments like that in the movie, which, of course, like, you're only human. You're frustrated. There are problems in the world and things are shit. And you're treated like crap. And sometimes it would be nice to, but, to 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 not lash out, but at least tell everyone else to fuck off just for a minute. You know, because we live in a society. <laughs> I I just think this film sometimes forgets where the line is. Yeah, I, I feel the same. Because um, it's expecting our audience to think... root for him because of things the film does, because of how sympathetic he can be, and because it expects us to root for him because he's the Joker and we all love the Joker, right? And I think that's that's part of the problem I have with it in that it doesn't like, it doesn't seem to have enough of an opinion on what its characters are doing. Yeah. So that it feels ambiguous in the worst sense in that it doesn't really have anything to say about what's going on in it. I'd rather I'd rather have there be a a, a structure plot structural antagonist, someone who was actually opposing him. Yeah. But to tell that story, you'd have to tell the story where he becomes more of an active, violent force earlier on in the film. Yeah. And then you may as well just tell a Batman movie. You may as well just do a Batman movie instead. Funny that. Yeah. <laughs> now. Box Office and Warner Brothers will tell us to go fuck ourselves. Yeah, this movie's doing really it's well. It's currently charting, as of the recording of this, to once all the numbers for international market are completely yeah. added up. A lot it's of currently charting really to be like the highest it. opening for an R-rated movie of all time. Yeah, It's already the highest uh, opening for a movie in uh, October. Like, ever. But you know what the thing is? So it's, it's doing very well, and that's not because people wanted to see a story of Todd Phillips Talking about social unrest and everything. People want to see a Joker movie. Yeah, because people like the character of the Joker. I have and a feeling. And curious about it. And I'll... it had beautifully cut trailers. Let's see, let's see how it... trailers were beautifully cut. Let's see how it drops off, because I tend to find that opening weekends don't necessarily mark the quality of a film, because... Oh, no. It will give people it haven't seen it before for... they go... <laughs> It'll give it bragging rights forever. Yeah. Because of the success of its initial opening. It's, it's going to get bragging rights forever because of its critical success. Yeah. Like, this is like... This will, this will be seen by some to legitimise the comic book movie because apparently they hadn't been legitimate at this point. Or Superman real cinema. movie. The Dark Knight. Um, Hellboy. X-Men. 
Spider-Man 2. Avengers. Avengers. Um, Christ alive. We've gone, we've gone forever with all that, to be honest, but yeah. I'm not going to. Um, uh, I don't know. What... I still find it weird that the co- comic books are a punching bag for a lot of critics and filmmakers. Like, oh, a comic book movie. Like, what is this nonsense? It's like, what did you grow up loving, guys? Well, I was a big fan of westerns as a kid. Well, there you go. There you go. This is the western. It's this westerns is the with gaudier costumes. Sometimes genre films are the thing everyone wants to see, and there's nothing bad about that. Better, you know, to, better to, to bite into that apple and, and take away your own thing from it. You know what I mean? Like, as a genre, I, instead of Scorsese shitting on Marvel movies, unquote, I'd rather Scorsese be like, I want to make one of your films. Yeah. And do it. And show us what sort of story he'd like to tell in that sandbox. Yeah. Well, you know, it, genres, be it, you know, the sci-fi tinge comic book action movie or, you know, horror movies, sci-fi movies in general, all that kind of stuff. They've always been, been a punching bag for critics. To the, to the point where I'm like, oh, you just like bland, flavourless bullshit. So the more... Or, more... or bullshit that pretends it's got something to say but doesn't yeah. actually go far enough to say it, like Green Book. So, so you know, I feel like... I certainly grew up feeling like where critics don't know what they're talking about because they don't like any of the shit I like. Um, and I'm, I'm not, honestly, just sometimes just because it's just because it's genre stuff. Like, people... Ha- critics hated the thing when it came out. Mm. Mm. They hated it. Despised it. And I, I just didn't understand it. By the same token, though, they also loved Aliens, which yeah. is a classic. Yeah. So, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't get it wrong all the time. But, um, And it's... Taxi Driver was despised when it came out. Yeah. Its initial critical response was horrendous. Yeah. It's now deemed an absolute classic of cinema and character, character storytelling. Yeah. De Niro's um, performance is cited as one of the best, like, leading performances in that sort of movie ever. And it's so it's just you know, it, comic book movies are just the punching bag at the moment. Um, and but it's this something so cynical about okay, well, I want to make a, I want to sneak a real movie in out as a comic book movie. So fuck off! You're using the trappings of something that you purport to despise to sell us something that you think is superior when it's actually just your empty bullshit wish fulfillment fantasy. Mm. That's what it feels like. Like yeah. it feels yeah. like death wish with A levels. <laughs> uh, yes. It's just Yes, that's a great description of this movie. Death wish with A levels. <laughs> oh sorry, death wish with a philosophy degree because it spouts a lot of empty bullshit. <laughs> um I mean it's it's just nonsense. Um the film isn't nonsense. I mean the film has problems but the that that Sort of snobbery is nonsense, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, the film, I, you know, I think there is some good stuff in it. I just don't think it goes far enough with anything, really, to leave a lasting impact, and it doesn't have the depth that it purports to. I find it interesting that there's been so many sort of quote unquote press stories, because I think stories is a generous term, it's more like sensationalized uh, advertising that's unmarked as advertising. Uh, about how extreme this film is and how people have been walking out. There's nothing particularly extreme in this. It's not particularly violent for a, for a film of its rating and uh, and genre. It's not particularly shocking. It's not particularly dark. It's just... It, I mean, like I say, if you've, if you've seen Taxi Driver, if you've seen The King of Comedy, mm. you've basically seen this. Yeah. Like, it's not. it's nothing new. And and that, and that might I don't know if that's the worst part of it because I I say my favorite movie is the thing it's a remake essentially originality is not the same thing as quality in the same thing that a faithful adaptation is not the same thing as a good adaptation 
but this just fails on most levels to leave any sort of lasting impact on me. I mean, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is great in it, but the story itself is real flimsy. Like, there isn't much of a plot. Um, It's just... We see Arthur getting kicked down and then he kills some people and then that's it. Most of the interesting things about it are sidelined and ignored, like the, the clown protest movement, um, the nature of his relationship with Sophia, the Thomas Wayne thing would have been more interested in a Batman movie, but even so, they don't really give it the time it deserves here to shine. It's just a bit... It's just an empty film. Mm. It's not... It's not any of the things it's making itself out to be, and I'm... I think there will probably be a reappraisal by some of the critics who've praised it so highly in 10, 10, 15 years' time and turn around and say, actually, this was kind of garbage. And I kind of hope we don't get much in the way of thematic follow-ups to it. I certainly hope we don't get a sequel because I don't think it'd be any good. They planned it as a solo film, but Todd Phillips has given conflicting responses to whether or not he'd want to do it. If this movie makes the money that it's on track to make, Warner Brothers will want to make a sequel to it. Whereas the smart decision would actually just be... Actually, do you know what? I was going to say, the smart decision would just be make more standalone, continuity-free DC movies and create this, as they're calling it, DC Black, which is based on the Black Yeah, label. that was an idea that, but do you know that, what I'd that Todd have? Phillips had, but Warner Brothers nixed it. Really? They, they nixed it because they wanted to see how this did first. So okay. that might happen. So they're not calling it DC Black yet, no. but they might retroactively do so on home release, maybe. Yeah, if they decide to do more Do you know what I'd like to see? Part. Do you know what I'd like to see? What? I'd like to see them release a film every two years, so every October, for ten years, so we get five of them in total. Yeah. Call each film Joker, and give us a different writer-director's take on that character. Uh, Christopher... That is one of the worst ideas I've ever heard in my life. Warner Brothers will definitely do it. And I don't mean I don't mean every movie's just an origin story for the Joker. I mean just make a movie about the Joker. Oh god, I can't think of anything worse. One could be a Batman film. One could be a Joker Harley Quinn film. One could be like, you know, about the inspired movement behind some of it. One could be completely separate from any of it and have nothing to do with anything. And just loosely uses the ideas and and visual aspects of it. At least that would be, make me go, alright, this is just one version of this experiment that I didn't enjoy. Let's see what another filmmaker has to say about it. Should we see what our listeners have to say about it? No. Yes. <laughs> uh, if you want to send us thoughts for next week, keep it spoiler free for next week for the emails, uh, or if you're not going to, put it in the header, just so yeah, we know. We can keep a spoiler warning, yeah. For the sake of the uh, listeners. BigDamnContact at gmail.com but as for this week, we've had a couple of emails. And yep. we want to talk about the Joker about us. This one comes in from Lewis. He says, hello, Chris and Matt. Hello, Lewis. I really wish Todd Phillips would shut the hell up. Me <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> His statement on woke culture infuriated me, especially when we live in a world where Fleabag, Derry Girls, The Good Place, and so many more shows are some of the best and funniest things on TV right now. I mean, we talked about Rick and Morty before. Yeah, That's I'm... a comedy that is not frightened to talk about shit that will upset I've started watching season three of Big Mouth on Netflix. Yeah. And that, again, there is an, there is an episode of that where <laughs> one of the main characters sends a dick pic to his cousin. Because that's what teenagers do when they're growing up. Yeah. Nowadays, always sunny. Oh, that's always been, sunny. Been running for what fourteen years? Yes, yeah, yeah. Like that is one of the most uncomfortable, dark, and like 
nasty shows out there. It's but hilarious. You know, they're very careful to about how they do things. The horrible stuff is from characters who are horrible and yeah. you laugh at them. Yeah. Not, not at what they're saying or what they're doing. You're laughing at their expense because they're horrible idiots. He's just bitter because no one wanted a hangover for. Um, <laughs> he has said some supreme... <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry, Lewis. Did you see that tweet that said um, it was something like, look, we've already got a fantastic take on the Joker brought to us by the real reason behind the success of the Hangover trilogy. And it's just a gif of... Uh, Probably worth the Google. Oh, yeah, but yeah. I go, Batman, it's like, yes! Let us not forget... Zach Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis in 2017's Lego Batman um, movie is the best Joker of the last five years. Uh, he has <laughs> said some supremely stupid stuff recently, and it's a shame because Joker is dark, disturbing, and fascinating. I don't oh. think it is particularly dark or particularly disturbing. I, certainly not I mean, I guess, dis- I guess disturbing if you've not... Like again, I'm, not, I'm making an assumption here, Lewis. If you've not seen sort of too many films about people's psychological yeah. states and the breakdown, but you know, I, you know, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, I, I'd, I'd advise. I'd advise if you want to see something even darker and even more disturbing, watch like watch Magic, for example. A Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Um, Ooh. Comparisons to Nicholson Ledger. Joaquin uh, Phoenix knocks it out of the park. Comparisons to Nicholson Ledger and the rest feel almost superfluous here. To be honest, because he's performance is so different in a film that's trying to be so different yeah I wouldn't put him up against the other Jokers for comparison because it doesn't feel like he's playing the same I, character I think it's it's hard to say that this film's trying to be so different when it is so derivative of its of its influences though hmm. but, but hey, I, I, hey, I see, hey, I see, well, I see, I see what this means in yeah. terms of like it's yeah. not this isn't, um, this isn't a story about the guy who fights Batman uh, the cinematography is gorgeous the score is hauntingly beautiful mm, and the supporting cast the score. yes the supporting cast are truly excellent. It's not a perfect film at all, and I need time to digest an awful lot of it. Certain choices didn't sit well with me, and there are points where I roll my eyes at the script and dialogue, but I'm going to be thinking about it for days, and the film undeniably represents an evolution for comic book movies. Ultimately, the clown prince of crime will always be a more interesting character when he's paired with Batman, but I'm really glad I saw Joker. I think the positives outweigh the negatives. And while I get why it doesn't work for some people, I'm excited to see what the future holds for the genre. I think it's insanely exciting that DC and Warner Brothers are giving filmmakers an opportunity to tell unique stories and make films which stand out amongst the sea of comic book flicks. And it seems that trend is being kept up with Kathy Ann's Bird of Birds of Prey, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking forward to Birds of Prey. If I had to sum up my personal thoughts on Joker in one short, short statement, it would be flawed... But fascinating. All the best, guys. Really curious to hear your thoughts on this one. I'm really um, glad you dug it. Lewis. Yeah, I honestly I, I, am. people are like it. I was speaking to two, two very close friends last night, and they really liked it. I don't understand why, <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you if you're getting if you're getting what you want out of it, then you know, like I said, there's got to be something there. So big props, to Lewis. I'm, I'm I, good times. I straight up um, um, that you really enjoyed it. Uh, dear Chris and Matt, this one comes in from Tom Monty. Tom Monty. Uh, Matt, it was an, it was absolutely wonderful to witness the return of the Tom Monty voice last week. I can't recall the last time it's made an appearance. I only whip it out for special occasions. Oh baby! Um, I saw Joker on Friday, which I had very high hopes for. But whilst I did enjoy it, I wasn't blown away like I wanted to be. Maybe it was because the fully formed Joker was on only on screen for about twenty minutes at the end. But those twenty minutes were the highlight for me and left me wanting more. Uh, there was something cool about sort of seeing because that was the closest we got to yeah. to the movies and Joaquin's take on the character we know, and it was, yeah. mo- it was mostly, you know, it was very it was very uh, evocative of the Killing Joke version where we kind of see him, we're giving the monologue over the 
the uh, the speaker system at the House of Mirrors. And it's also... And you can sort of see him kind of actually bearing some emotion. He kind of, like, quietens for a moment. It made me yeah. think of that a bit. Like, we're watching, we're watching the Joker. We're watching a version of the Joker, but he's, he's in a vulnerable moment. And it's also got shades of the talk show appearance in Dark Knight Returns as well. Yeah, because, as we've established before, Matt, those are the only two the only books <laughs> ever written. Did you not know? Did you not know? I mean, it's, I, Warner, it, it, I have it on good authority from Warner Brothers Studios and from every person working at DC's uh, film division that there are only three graphic novels, Matt, in existence. And they yeah. are The Killing Joke, yep. The Dark Knight Returns, yep. and Death of Superman. Yeah. So. Uh, there we go. That's yeah. a very small library. Why doesn't everyone have a copy of those? We should do a box set. Um, <laughs> and just call it the let's get it over with box set. Yes. There's uh, more than this, the box set. Joaquin Phoenix has said that this would be his only outing as the Joker. Can we just take the... a moment to appreciate his name is Joaquin. Joaquin. Uh, but the film ended with that ambiguous Bruce Wayne setup. It's it's not an ambiguous Bruce Wayne setup. It's We know Bruce Wayne's going to become Batman because we've seen his well, parents get murdered. Is he? Yes. Is he? Or uh, is he going to become Clown Man? <laughs> The I'm Robin really Hood of, of the clowns. the Robin Hood of the people. Um, yeah, that's it. He doesn't become as vigilante. He just becomes shit scared of clowns yeah. and never leaves the house again. Do you think we'll see this version of the Joker again? Probably not. I hope not. I um, hope not. I, I think it should exist, and not just because I didn't enjoy the film. I think it should exist as a unique. I think you'll have story. a rough time getting Joaquin Phoenix back for another one. Yeah, considering he's turned down quite a few Marvel roles, at least the Hulk and Doctor Strange that we know of, and I think others as well. You know, Norton, because he doesn't want to do multiple films. Norton recently spoke, finally, about Incredible Hulk. What did he have to say for himself? Uh, he basically said that uh, he admires what they've done and he thinks it's really cool, but it's not what he would have done. And uh, Kevin Feige threw him under the bus. And he, he says, Kevin's a really nice guy, so I was very surprised by that. I just hope he's well. It's like, huh. But then you hear other stories about people who work with Ed Norton and you're like, I think you might be the dickhead. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. We'll see. There's two sides to every story. Not necessarily both of them worth hearing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that is an ambiguous Bruce Wayne setup. Like that's just the origin of Batman that we've seen X number of times before. Like you said earlier, it would have been ten times better had they not shown the shooting in the alley. Had they yeah. just shown them leaving the theatre, going down the side of the alley, and someone following them. Had they just shown that, it would have at least been like a oh, so that's this version of Gotham's take on that. Yeah. And said it was. We've got to show it. We've right got to do to it. The- Fucking pearls. Oh, we've got to do the pearls as well. God. Um, Where did they first appear? Was it in year one? Was that the first use of the pearls? Possibly. And then everyone's made a point of showing the pearls. The pearls. Horrible. I hate it. Oh, do you remember the Batman v Superman version where he puts the gun like underneath the pearls? Yeah. So that when he pulls the trigger and shoots her, presumably in the neck... It snaps the pearls. They do the same thing in this. That, well, he gets caught. Well, no. Gets caught well, no. In this, it felt laboured. Yeah. So it was like, give well, me that pearl. Get shoot. those pearls. Even though he's not taking the pearls, he's just shooting just... Thomas Wayne. Oh god! Kill and the also, rich, this is, this... Chris. Also, anybody who ever had a problem with Jack Napier killing the Waynes in Batman 1989, if they don't have a problem with Joe Chill being a clown protester in this, then they need to jog on. Because it's the exact same thing. In this movie, mm. the Joker creates Batman. Yes. Themes. Um, you wouldn't have, have a glasses, would you? Have either of you watched HBO's The Sopranos? I recently started it because it's supposedly the greatest TV show of all time. But so far, I can't see it surpassing Breaking Bad in my books as worthy of that title. I think it's um, it might it probably was in its time. I've not seen it. 
I, saw I the probably wasn't two seasons. But um, I was a bit too young to really appreciate it, but I dug it. I'd say stick with it. You probably still will find Breaking Bad is better by the end of it, just because uh, of the sensibilities and how television's made. Like a few years later, the yeah. same reason why when you revisit anything from your younger years, you might go, "Oh, this isn't as sharp as I remember." It's just because. Yeah. Things have changed. Same reason why whenever you go back to play a PS1 game, you find the reaction times are really clunky. They're not. You're just used to more responsive reaction times. Yeah. Well, well some um, of them were. So they were <laughs> Monster Racer, anyone? Oh, God. Um, God. I'm glad I never played that. I'm glad I just watched you guys suffer oh, through that. It was bad, horrible. Man. It's awful. Um, I just played with myself during that stream, if I remember correctly. Hey. Well, I played with some wood. I was, I was puppeteering. Yay. But, uh, um, clips on Twitch. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, I yeah I I think you I think it's worth sticking. Watch it honestly. Yeah, uh, Tony Soprano, James Gandolfini is, is a phenomenal it's, character you know, performance. It's one of those it, greatest TV show of all time. Is such a subjective. Everyone said that at Game of Thrones. Yeah, and then no, nope, the past tense. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you know, I yeah. Watch it. I hear it's good. Greatest of all time. I don't know. Maybe. Mayhaps. Uh, speaking of Breaking Bad, are we even going to be watching El Camino this Friday? Are you sceptical of whether it will live up to the show? I am, but I have faith in Vince Gilligan to deliver. I cannot wait to see Jesse Pinkman in action once again. Yours, Tom Monte. I'm intrigued by El Camino. I'm, I'll get to it. I'm in no rush. I'll but... probably watch it within the next week. Yeah. Um, just because I'm a, I'm going to get like super busy in a month and a week. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. anything I can absorb now, great. Some stuff I will save for when I'm in Pantoland to binge on. Like, Swamp Thing is now on Amazon Prime. Yeah, I noticed that. And I'm kind of, like... Because because within the realms of clickability and trends and algorithms, folks, there's no point us talking about Swamp Thing as a main topic. But we can talk about it. But we can talk about it. But at the same time, I'm like, considering it won't exactly give boost to the show, and I need stuff to box it yeah. when Panto starts, I might take it with me. I went, I, went, I went on a bit of an Amazon Prime binge yesterday. You know what I watched? What did you watch? I watched Children of the Corn. Oh, Why? <laughs> Because it's on Amazon Prime. What? All oh, right. Okay. And, Linda ha- and Linda Hamilton's Linda Hamilton's in it. Oh, lovely Linda. I watched Hamilton. Children of the Corn two. Yeah. Because it's on Amazon Prime. Oh god. Uh, Children of the Corn two is way more fun, but much sillier. Children of the Corn is just aggressively mediocre. Um, mediocre. And then I watched Inseminoid. Which is what one of the, the hell is Inseminoid? It's one of the aliens imitators that I've been uh, looking up recently. For, for, a, for an upcoming video, yeah. Um, but Spoilers. The, the full and I've seen bits of it, but the full thing went up on Amazon Prime this week. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna give that a go. I'm gonna inseminoid myself. It's fucking awful, man. It's okay. really bad. I imagine so. But if you like boobs and blood, you got you some boobs and blood. Bloods. And if you do like boobs and blood, come back next week for more Big Damn Cast. Um, you know the drill. Yeah, thanks for listening. As always, at Big Damn Cast on Twitter, <laughs> Big Damn Cast at gmail.com if you want to get in touch. Twitch.tv slash Big Damn Stream yes. for regular video game programming, including adventures in backlogging. Wednesday uh, Weekly Warframe? Wednesday week, Weekly Wednesday Warframe? Weekly um, Wednesday Warframe. I guess, oh, which I've been doing on my own channel. The Triple I'm gonna, W. I'm gonna, WWW. I'm going to move over to. Uh, the Big Damn Channel and see how it goes this week. I'll be dipping in and out um, of the uh, Walking Dead territory either through hosting or direct streaming. So there's plenty to yep. watch. And as we said at the start, if you want to help out the show in any way for yep. as little as $1 a month and you can cancel any time you like, you can go to patreon.com slash bigdamncast 
help us out, get access to exclusive material. You pay a little bit more, mm-hmm. you can get videos way before anyone else, get hold of stuff way before anybody else, influence what we pick for future content, for yeah. specials, commentaries. Uh, and yeah, also join the Big Damn Cast Discord, which is only accessible if you become a patron. We recommend it because we're on there and we chat shit. Yay! So join us, you little buggers. And also join us next week. But to... When we'll talk about something else. Yeah, not sure what yet. Me neither, me point. neither. Something happy. Hmm. Send hmm. in the flowers. Oh, Christ. I'm going now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>